And when you do something wrong, you should feel a sense of guilt for doing something wrong. That's a good thing, right? When we feel bad about doing something wrong. But however, when we have unresolved guilt that never gets actually addressed or dealt with, it shifts in our lives. It gets deeper. It starts to grow roots and that root will keep us sidelined. That root will create distance between you and what you actually need. And the question I want us to think about is, are we just forced to live with this shame? Are we just forced to live with this idea of never being enough? Because guilt speaks to what I have done, but shame speaks to who I am. That unresolved guilt, man, it sinks down into our belief system. And the enemy will use that to keep us on the sidelines. And it seems like the longer that it remains, the stronger that it becomes. Guilt is focused on behavior and shame is focused on self. Guilt says, I have done bad, but shame says, I am bad. Shame is driven by conflicting and competing expectations and who I'm supposed to be or maybe the fear of being seen as weak. Author Brene Brown says that secrecy, silence, and judgment are the petri dish where shame grows and thrives. And shame is a powerful tool that the enemy uses. It's an infectious mentality that not only impacts you, but it actually shapes the mentality of generations that come after you. We unknowingly can hand our shame to our children, to our grandchildren, and those things will affect the way they see the world, the way that they see other people, the way that ultimately that they see God. And so I believe that God wants us to be free from shame. Do you agree? He doesn't want this dictating our lives. But as we've been going through this series called Sideline, we've talked about different things that keep us out of doing what God has called us to do, things that keep us sidelined, things that keep us feeling like we're not quite measuring up, like we're not quite good enough. We've talked about the fear of inadequacy. We've talked about this fear of rejection. And today we're gonna to talk about this idea of shame because here's what shame really does. And I want you to think about this. Maybe you need to write it down. Shame creates distance between you and what you actually need. The more that you dwell on this idea of shame, the more you adopt this mentality of shame, and the more that you buy into this shame and you see yourself that way, because remember, guilt speaks to what you've done. That can be a good thing. But when it's undealt with unresolved, it turns into shame. So it's not necessarily addressing a behavior, it's addressing identity. It's addressing who I am. And the longer that I sit in this mentality of shame, the more that I begin to see myself a certain way and it becomes these barriers that get created that keep me on the sidelines of thinking, man, I'm not good enough because I've done fill in the blank or I haven't done fill in the blank. And it creates a comparison culture where we are always looking to other people to measure ourselves against them in order to try to find some sort of resolve or some sort of sense of self-worth. And we think that if we just try really hard to maybe tip the scales in our favor that we can be a good person and we can outdo all the bad we've done or all the shame that we're carrying around, if I can somehow tip the scales in my favor, then I'll feel finally like I'm okay. But that feeling of okay seems to be 
that dangling carrot that always just gets moved a little further the closer that you get to it. And it seems like it gets further and further away. And the enemy wants to make sure that it does. Because the enemy wants to make sure that those lies continue to be perpetuated. The enemy wants to make sure that you're constantly reminded of what happened or what hasn't happened, what was done to you, decisions you made, whatever the case may be. And it begins to shape your identity, the trust that you'll have with other people, the trust that you'll have with certain individuals. Maybe because there's so much shame in your life, you don't trust men or you don't trust women or you don't trust people in authority. Whatever the case may be, whatever has happened in your life or whatever mistakes you have made, man, it will cause this sense of shame and it will just do something to you that will keep you on the sidelines. And the enemy wants to make sure of it. The enemy wants to keep reminding you of those things. I remember my wife and I have been married for 21 years and we went through a really rough patch in our marriage early on where, man, we struggled financially like something fierce. And we made a lot of really bad decisions. And so some of it was the circumstances that we were in, but the majority of it, if I'm really honest, was just two dumb young people not knowing how to handle money. And because of that, we got into a lot of trouble financially. I mean, we had the calls, we had the letters from the bank and all those things about, you know, being behind on this or behind on that. And I remember that feeling of going to a drive-thru, for instance, uh, go to McDonald's for breakfast or whatever, and I'd hand the person my debit card, and I remember this feeling in the pit of my stomach of not knowing if my debit card was going to be approved or not. And I don't know if you know that feeling or not, but man, that's a terrible, terrible, terrible feeling. And I was so, had so much shame around that. And I was just so embarrassed around that, that that feeling began to shape my identity to even fast forward 15 years later, after all of those things, there are times when I will still go through the drive-thru and go, oh man, I hope my card, wait a minute, I haven't had that issue in a long time. But yet that feeling of shame, man, it sticks with you. And there's still a little bit of that triggering reminder. The enemy will make sure that those little moments, man, he wants those things to stick with you because he wants you to see yourself a certain way. He wants you to be tethered to your past. He wants you to be tethered to your mistakes. He wants you to be tethered to seasons of uh, times where maybe you were, you were done wrong. He wants you to tether those, those things so that it will shape the way you see yourself, the way you see God, and it will ultimately keep you sidelined and keep your gifts, keep your, your, your passions, the, the things God has uniquely created and gifted you to do. It'll keep all of those things on the sidelines because you don't know if you're quite good enough. Or you feel like maybe you'll never be able to do the thing God put in your heart to do because of whatever you can fill in the blank with that. And that shame, man, the, the more you dwell on it, the more you relate with it, the more you agree with that and accept that as your identity, the more distance that puts between you and what you actually need. Because it will keep you from actually taking steps in the right direction. The more you sit in that shame, the more it'll keep you from making the decisions you actually need to make to actually fix the situation or do the things that you actually need to do to be in a better position than you are now. And it's easy because if we're living in shame and it's creating my identity, I can project blame on anyone around me to try to make myself feel better. Some people take that path. I'm not anyone in this room or watching online with this particular stream, other people, you know. No, we've all done this at a certain level. When we're dealing with shame, we project onto other people because it makes us feel better, makes us feel less guilty, and we want to advocate our responsibilities ultimately. And we want to say, oh, well, the reason I'm struggling is because of this. 
And if we can't think of a person's name, it'll be because of, you know, the government. You know, it'll be because it's, it's because of the president. It's because of this policy. It's because of this. It's because of that. And we project all of our challenges and all of our issues onto other people instead of taking responsibility for the things that we need to take responsibility for because, man, that shame will create distance between where you're at and what you actually need to walk in that freedom because shame will sideline us because it's rooted in fear. It's afraid, what if, I fit, what if I fail again? Or what if I get exposed? What if people really see that I'm flawed? What if people see that I'm not what they think that I am? And all that fear and all that shame will keep you from doing the things you know that you need to do. Let's go over to 2 Samuel chapter 9. This is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. And I'll give you just a little bit of setup here as you're finding 2 Samuel chapter 9. This is the story of King David's reign over Israel. And Saul, the previous king, is dead. And Saul's son, Jonathan, and David were very, very close. They had a special bond and a special covenant and love towards one another that God had created between them. And David had made all kinds of covenants or promises with Jonathan, Saul's son. And now Saul is dead, and now Jonathan is dead. They both died in battle. David is the king, and anyone who's directly related or connected to Saul, man, they are freaking out. Because there's a new king, there's a new lineage, Saul's lineage is done, and of course you'd naturally think, oh man, he's going to want to make sure no one wants to lay claim to the throne. And so there's a lot of fear around that idea. And so that's where we find ourselves in 2 Samuel chapter 9, let's read verse 1, it says, And David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there still not someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Mekar and the son of Emiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, fell on his face, paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and, all, and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. 
and Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. This story is such a powerful story because ultimately it's the story of the gospel. It's the story of the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Mephibosheth, scripture says, was in an area, a region called Lodabar. And what Lodabar, that word actually means is no pasture, no word. It was a barren region where hopeless people went to live out their days, hopefully hide, and just die. There was nothing there. There was no benefit. There was no, nothing that you would want to move to Lodabar and actually be a part of and do. It's just where you went to live out the rest of your days, and you're just cut off from the rest of civilization. This is how Mephibosheth saw himself. He said, I need to go, and I need to withdraw myself from everything, and I'm just going to go live out the rest of my days. I'm already crippled in my feet. I already can't walk. I already have to have people carry me around. I'm already a burden. And when he meets David, and David talks to him, he says, I'm a dead dog. Like, that's how he sees himself. That's how he looks at himself. He recognizes, man, in your presence, I am dead. And this is such a beautiful picture of the gospel because when we come to Jesus, we are Mephibosheth. We're the one who's been cut off. We're the one who's been exiled, man. We're the one who has no right, no claim, nothing we could do. We can't even get ourselves around without help, man. We're struggling. We're cut off. We're just living out the rest of our days. But yet, when we come in the presence of the king, the king changes everything. And I love this story <clears throat> because as we see, Mephibosheth was hiding. But the greatest part of this that I, that, man, it just, it gets me all emotional. I got really emotional preparing this message this past week. Because I was thinking about, man, David sought him out. Is that not a beautiful thing? David wanted to know, where is someone that I can bless for the sake of the promises, the covenant that I made with Jonathan? Like, is there anyone left that's connected, that I, that, that's now, they're, they're cut off? Is there anyone that, that I can fulfill that promise to? And he said, actually show the kindness of God to? So he's actually being an instrument at this point. David is being an instrument of the love of God to someone who did nothing to deserve it, who did nothing to earn it, and who could not pay David back with any physical labor he could provide because he's crippled. He can't, he can't do anything. He's so limited. And he's so dependent on other people. And this is such a beautiful picture of the gospel and the grace of God. Because your shame causes you to hide. But God is seeking you out in his grace. Because grace is what you did not deserve. Grace is you getting what you did not earn. And God's grace is seeking you out to sit at the table of the king. And I want you to think about the beauty of this because when Mephibosheth is seated at the table, David said, I want him to sit at my table like one of my sons. So now he's being brought in and treated no longer like an outcast, but he's now being treated like a son and his, his, his crippled feet are covered when he sits at the table of the king. And he sits at the table of the king like one of the king's sons. He doesn't even say, hey, 
Mephibosheth, I'm going to give you all the stuff that was previously your grandfather's and your father's. I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. No, he gives all that stuff to the servants. He says, all the servants, you guys can have all of that stuff. And you guys can till the land. You can eat the produce of that land. That's yours. All that property, all that inheritance, that's yours. Because Mephibosheth is going to be treated like one of my sons. Mephibosheth is now one of the sons of David, not by anything he's done, but by a promise that he made, by the kindness of God that he wanted to show. You see, our big idea is God's grace is seeking you out to sit at the table of the king. And Mephibosheth, now where you're seated, where you're seated now, you no longer have to live in shame because of the grace, the love, and the promise of the king. You no longer have to identify with your past. You no longer have to identify with that heritage, that lineage. You no longer have to even identify with your own weakness because the king is taking care of you. The king has made a way where you could never have made a way. This is such a beautiful story of the gospel because at the king's table, I want you to hear me this morning, I can be free from shame because I have found a new source of security, a new source of belonging that doesn't depend on my past and that doesn't depend on my ability. This is the beauty of the gospel. When we are welcomed at the king's table, we are free from that shame. I want you to let this sink down in your heart today because you can sit in your proverbial loaded bar you can stay in this mindset of being cut off. Poor old me. Why did this have to happen to me? Why did I have to be born this way? Why did I have to have these things happen? Why did I have to be born in this family? Why did I have to experience these tragedies? No one cares about me. I'm all over here by myself. I might as well just live out the rest of my days and just try to figure out you know, how to survive and just one day I'll just become just nothing. This is the mindset of Mephibosheth. This is the mindset of him when he was at Lodabar. He's at this place of no communication. He's at this place of no pasture, this place of no hope. And so many times that shame will lead us to that place, maybe not physically, but maybe mentally, maybe emotionally, where we feel like, man, I don't know if anyone really sees me. I don't know if anyone really cares. I don't know if any of this is real. And we begin to question and doubt, and we have all these fears, and we have all these wounds, we have all these things that the enemy wants to leverage to keep us sidelined. We have all these things that the enemy would love to keep reminding us of and keep reminding us how lame we are, how worthless in the eyes of others that we may be. And how there's too much that has happened in our past that, man, we just can't overcome it, so why try? There's too many things that are causing me to stumble, so why try? I guess I'll always be a this. I guess I'll always be a that. I guess I'll always have this issue. I guess I'll always have that issue. And can I tell you that the longer we live in that, the longer we sit in that mentality, the longer we sit in that shame, man, it begins to get these deep roots that put distance between us and what we actually need. But when we recognize the grace of God and we begin to remind ourselves of the gospel, when we begin to think about what Jesus Christ has done, that he took the punishment that you and I, we deserved it, man. We earned it. 
But yet in his grace, he gives us what we didn't earn, what we didn't deserve. And now we don't have to identify with that shame anymore. We don't have to be connected to that and anchored to that. We don't have to continually trip over the same stumbling block over and over again. Amen, church? I want you to go over to Colossians real quick. Paul, Paul helps the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 2, to see this beautiful picture of the gospel. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13, Scripture says, And you, you were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh God has now made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, and what did he do? He nailed it to the cross. I want you to hear this this morning, church, that Jesus Christ has taken all of the record of wrong, taken all of the shame, and you could write a novel about all the wrong, all the things we've done, all of the places we've messed up, all the places where other people have abused us, taken advantage of us, where they've broken our trust. You could write it all down, and Scripture says Jesus took that entire record and he actually nailed it to the cross. So that means when Christ died, all those things died with him. So that means I am no longer bound to the shame that results of this this log and all of this, uh, this journal of my past record that's against me. Because I can be free in Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, I can truly embrace that new life, that new creation where the old has gone, the new has come. My life is now hid in Christ. It is now Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen, church? Let's skip over to chapter 3. This is what Paul continues to say to the church in verse 1. If you then have been raised with Christ, then here's what you need to do. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Some of us need to take these scriptures and we need to make it a habit of reading these things as the Lord is shaping and reshaping the way that we see our relationship with God. The way that we're seeing who he's made us to be in his image and what he's called us to do. Because we've been too dependent on ourselves. We've been sidelined because of fear of something that I need to do or something I haven't done or something that I've made a mistake in. When I read the scripture, I see that we are free and he who the son has set free is free indeed. And so if I truly am free in Christ, if he's taken that record against me, if he's nailed it to the cross, if he's taken me and seated me at his table, then I don't need to act like I'm still living in Lodabar anymore. I don't need to act like, I, I don't need to think the way I used to think when I was at Lodabar anymore. But some people take their Lodabar thinking while they're sitting at the king's table, and that's not what the king wants. He wants us to recognize he's put us in this position for a reason. 
And the reason that God's put you in the position that he has is so that you can live your life on this earth for his purpose and for his glory. Amen? Amen. Not just so you can coast, not so you can just be comfortable and enjoy Christian subculture and Christian things. No, the reason that God has put you in this position and called you for such a time as this and the reason you have answered his call is so that you cannot be on the sidelines, not be tethered to your past, but so that you can move forward with what God has gifted you with, what he has called you to, and he wants you to walk in obedience to that. And not let your past be the thing that keeps you sidelined, amen? Not let the shame that the enemy wants to keep reminding you of keep you sidelined. That's not why God sent his only son to die for you. So you could still have to deal with this and and be tied down to this. No, he wants you to be free. The record of debt has been nailed to the cross. Your record of debt, man, it's a source of shame, And in Christ you are forgiven. And it's hard to trust that sometimes because the enemy can make that thing from our past just seem so alive and so real. But in Christ we are forgiven. In Christ we are free. So many people try to medicate. They try to keep secrets. They try to withdraw. They try to make excuses. This is what shame will drive us to do. It'll put distance between us and what we actually need. The things we actually need to do, man. If I'm shamed, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep uh, <laughs> indulging in the things that are actually keeping me bound. I'll actually go backwards instead of forwards if I'm living in that mindset. You see, when Mephibosheth came to David, <laughs> after David called him, he says, man, I'm a dead dog. What if he kept that dead, dead dog mentality and said, you know what, David? Appreciate what you're trying to do there, but man, I'm a dead dog. Don't you see what you're working with here? Sorry, thanks, but no thanks. Doesn't even make sense. Of course he wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that, but we do it all the time. When God has filled us with his spirit, when he's given us gifts, when he's called us out of that pit of despair and given us hope in Christ, when he has given us grace the thing we did not earn or didn't deserve, unmerited favor, when he's given us his love, when he's filled us with his spirit, dispersed gifts amongst his body, and we go, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to step out and do anything for God. I just want to you know, try to be comfortable. But God didn't do all that just so you could be comfortable. God did that so you could be a vessel and an instrument for his glory. Not just on Sunday, but every day. Amen, church? But man, so many people, they, they try to medicate the pain that comes along with the shame. They try to keep secrets. They try to withdraw and isolate and all of these things. But man, we are free. We are truly free. We have to understand it's Jesus' grace that's carrying us to the table of the king. But it requires that we become vulnerable. That we trust. Because trusting in his grace, man, it will make you vulnerable. Because you're stripping yourself of trusting your own strength. You're basically denying your own, um, your, your, your own uh, accolades of what you could get for your own efforts and your own merit. If you want to live a merit-based life, go for it. <laughs> good luck. If you want to try to put your faith and trust in how good of a person you can be, go for it. But man, I don't want to put my trust in how good I can be. I'd rather put my trust in how good he is and how good he has been. Amen? And anything that I do that may have the attachment of the word good to it, I want it to point people to Jesus, not to me. 
And I want it to point my own heart towards Jesus and not towards me, lest all of a sudden I become dependent on myself and I am not dependent upon him. Leaning into vulnerability and receiving grace, that's where we find freedom from shame. Leaning into that vulnerability, receiving that grace. I want to read these last few scriptures here over in Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul says this, and I want you to hear this one, man. You need this word today, church. There's somebody watching online that needs this word today. There's somebody here in this room, somebody out in the commons. You need this word today. Romans 8 and 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe you need to just sit in that for a little while. Meditate on that. Think about that over and over again. Read it slowly. Write it down. Think about it. Let it soak in. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Over in verse 12, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. If you did not receive the spirit of slavery, man, to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs. And if we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the gospel. The gospel reshapes my identity because it puts my focus on Jesus, not on me. And then I can begin to see through these gospel lenses, man. And I don't have to be bogged down by shame any longer. So I want to ask you today, church, what step of courage do you need to take? Maybe it's leaning into that vulnerability. The best gift that you could give someone who is being vulnerable with you is to reciprocate that vulnerability. Isn't it weird when you're vulnerable with somebody and then... Like you lay your cards out on the table and they're like, oh, man, you are jacked up. <laughs> man, I'm like, yeah, I'm not talking to that person anymore. Uh, that can hurt, right? The best gift you can give someone who's being vulnerable is for you to be vulnerable right back. All of a sudden, safety's created there. All of a sudden, you can give grace. Maybe you haven't been through exactly what they've been through, right? That's fine doesn't matter but we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and God has rescued us and so every one of us have a testimony every one of us have a story amen, amen. we all have a story and there's no condemnation if we're in Christ so I want us to understand that just as grace has been freely given to us you know what scripture says we're supposed to do in response we're supposed to freely give it it's not just for me and it doesn't end with me what I have freely been given what I freely received Scripture says I need to freely give. So who do you need to freely give grace to today? Who do you need to be vulnerable with today? You see, Christ gave that gift of grace to us freely when we least 
deserved it. Scripture says, while you were enemies of God, Christ died for you. Mephibosheth, he didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. But there was a promise that was made. And David showed kindness and love and grace. So I want to encourage you. If someone has offended you, wronged you, man, don't keep someone captive to shame. And don't you be a victim of shame. Grace is us getting what we did not deserve, what we did not earn. Freely we've received, so freely we must give. I want us to end our time together by receiving communion. Because this is the perfect reminder of God's grace. And I want you to think about what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart this morning. Perhaps you came in this place and you didn't know what to expect. Maybe you're new. Maybe you came in with a mountain of challenges. Maybe you've come in here and you didn't expect for God to actually deal with something in your heart because it's so interesting, right? That we can all come in here, different experiences, different challenges. Maybe you came in here and you were just fine and now all of a sudden God is revealing something to you or reminding you of something. And man, it's, it's stirring something in you. It may bring you to a place of brokenness. That's good. That's good. That's him loving you. It's not him trying to just bring up the past because you're like, no, 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 I've I've buried that. I swept that under the rug yet. And God's saying, it's time to deal with it because it's keeping you on the sidelines because he's gifted you, he's called you. And man, it's, it's time for you to take a step, be vulnerable. And so I want us to receive communion together today, reminding ourselves of the free gift of grace that was given to us. So would you go ahead and open up the bread? I want you to think about the body of Christ that in our place was beaten, that was in our place spat upon, that was in our place nailed to a cross, that in our place died because sin ultimately causes death eternal separation from God, not just physical bodily death, but man, eternal separation from God. That's really the the worst part of the whole deal. But Jesus took that upon himself. And then not only did he die that death on the cross for you and I, but he overcame death, the enemy that you and I could never overcome. Even if we tried to be a good person, we still couldn't overcome death. But yet Jesus overcame death. And he put death to death. And now through faith in what he's done, there's now hope that you and I can share in that victory. And what have we done? Nothing. Scripture says even the the, the grace and the faith that we had to believe in that grace was a gift of God. Ephesians 2 and 10 says that we were saved by this grace through faith. And that faith, man, it wasn't even of ourselves. So it wasn't some faith I mustered up. That's even a gift of God. So no man can boast. It's all to him, amen? And so as we think about this bread, I want us to think about the body of Christ and how he gave himself for us as we take this together. Would you receive the bread? I want you to think about this cup and the juice that's in it reminds us of the blood of Jesus. 
and that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin, is what Scripture says in Leviticus. And that there's life in the blood. That there's forgiveness in the blood of Jesus. That there's healing and restoration in the blood of Jesus. Now, now this is just juice. This, there's no healing in this juice. This is, not, this is not some transubstantiation thing. This is just us remembering, but yet the potency of when we drink the juice, reminding us, man, that that life source, that spirit of God, just as this juice enters our body, man, Christ is in us. He's working in us and through us. And as we think about his glorious grace, as we think about his blood that has washed us white as snow, as we think about how he offers forgiveness and new life, may we be stirred to get up off the sidelines, step out of our shame and realize we are seated at the king's table because he has placed us there for his purpose and for his glory. So let's receive this together. Father, we thank you for how you've moved in and among us today, how we've heard your word and how we've responded to your word. May we move forward in your grace, no longer being on the sidelines, but doing what you have created and gifted us to do and being freed from shame. In Jesus' name.